safely stand. What are you trying to wine? Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. encourage you to return tonight. Uh,
how many of you are in school, have a, per, uh, a person in, in your family that's in school, have ever attended school, uh, or, or think you need to go back to school? Um, but tonight we're going to pray for our school system, for our students, for our fa the, the faculty members, the staff, everybody from the bus drivers, lunchroom personnel, everybody that's involved in our school system, the Board of Education, parents. And so if you believe in the power of prayer and you think prayer needs to be in schools, I would encourage you to be here tonight. Um, and come and, let, and let's pray for our schools. But glad that you're here at Northside Baptist Church this morning, uh, especially if you are a guest of ours. There's a part of the bulletin that you can fill out and tear out, place in the offering plate, or uh, give it to a minister at the end of the service at the back door. Uh, right now, right now, uh, we're, we're also glad if you're some of our home folks. And so find somebody, shake their hand, let them know that you're excited to be here. And our God is greater. find your way back to your seats. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
sing that song, there's a phrase that sticks out. Dear God, you're, Jesus is the only one who can ever save. Dear God, there's so many things that we go through in life and that we're going through right now that uh, each individual has in their heart this morning. Dear God, you're the only one who can save us from those things. And more importantly, you're the only one who saves us for eternity. Uh, so even while these momentary and temporary afflictions uh, affect us on a daily life, we give those over to you. God, whether it's uh, healing that's needed in someone's body or, or other things that, that may be going, be going on, Dear God, but ultimately we pray and thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to us and for us so that we may spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking Support me in the whelming flood When all around my soul will sway He then is all my hope and stay On Christ a solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, not less to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come today with sad hearts about news of more senseless killings in America. And we turn to you for help. I pray, dear Lord, that uh, these tithes and offerings that we take up each week go to change the lives and hearts and minds of those that don't know you and don't know how to, to live a respectful life 
pray that they will work in the hearts of those to bring sanity back into these situations. We ask that you bless the gift and the giver. And make these things work for you, for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray.
stand once again. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Be seated. As we come to this portion of our service today where we're talking about the Lord's Supper, you can go ahead and find your place in God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we'll be looking together at verses 23 through 34. So just hold your place there, and we'll be referring to that on and off as we go through uh, our explanation of uh, the Lord's Supper and then our examination of ourselves, but of course our examination of the sinless Son of God who died for us, and then we will participate together in the Lord's Supper. When your Bible's open right there, I want you to understand that all the Bible is about Jesus, uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're observing an event that uh, uh, is over 2,000 years old, uh, but that event is based upon another event that's even 1,000 years older than that. And so maybe go back 3,000 years plus to the land of Egypt. And we go back into the land of Egypt, and there was an event that took place there, and what was it called? Passover. It was the Passover. So God anointed, during that time in the Old Testament, a leader 
of the nation of Israel. And the leader of the nation of Israel's name was Moses. It was Moses. And God had instructed Moses, uh, according to the scripture, to go to someone by the name of Pharaoh, who was the leader of the Egyptian nation, and he commanded him to allow the Hebrews, that is the Jewish people, uh, to leave Egypt so they could return to Canaan, which was the land that God had promised to Abraham, to Abraham and his descendants. So we were studying God's word in kind of a quick way right here. Pharaoh repeatedly refused Moses' request. And at last-ditch effort to secure their release, Moses told Pharaoh to, on, a, to, uh, on a certain date that the firstborn of each family in Egypt would be slain by God's angel of death unless released, unless he released his people. Now there are two ways this terrible judgment could be avoided. Pharaoh could either release the Israelites or the Egyptians could literally come under the Jewish protection. And so the, <coughs> the reason uh, is each Jewish family was told to sacrifice a lamb, told to sacrifice a lamb and smear some of the blood on the doorposts of their houses. Now, when God's angel of death, the scripture teaches us, passed through, he would see the blood on the doorpost and he would pass over. He would pass over the marked houses, those, and he would spare anyone that was inside those marked houses. Now, Pharaoh has already told you he refused to let the Israelites go. And, and the angel of death took the lives of many Egyptians, and Pharaoh finally relented, and he finally released the Jewish people, and thus was born the Jewish feast, which has become an annual remembrance of the Passover. So now we fast forward into our Bibles, and we're in Jesus' day. And we're in Jesus' day, each Jewish family would bring a lamb to the temple, and after the lamb was slain by the priest, the meat would be cooked for the Passover feast and sacrificed and reenacted the event that took place in Egypt 3,000 years before. Now Jesus took the Passover feast, and he gave it a radical, radical, different interpretation and for us to follow what he says to do. He, as we see today, Jesus is the Passover. He is the Passover. He's the Passover lamb and the lamb, you see, the blood on the doorpost would simply be a symbol of his blood that covers all sin for those who receive his forgiveness through his protection. Now, the, the, the simple message of the Lord's Supper is this. Because of the dying of his body and the shedding 
of his blood, a holy God can pass over your sin and my sin, and we're here to celebrate that today. He said, why would you take it? Because I think we miss the significance. Because I think it becomes a check off the box for us. Because the Constitution and bylaws say we must do it once a quarter. Or because our denomination dictates we do it once a week. But Jesus doesn't tell us any of those things. But he says, as oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. If there's any worship service that you and I participate in that's all about Jesus, it's the Lord's Supper. If there's any symbolization that God wanted to draw to our attention is the two ordinances that we observe, baptism and the Lord's Supper. For they show us the gospel, the death, the burial of our Savior and the resurrection and the soon coming of our Lord that we'll look at at the very end. We did not come today to mourn somebody who's dead. We've come to celebrate somebody who's alive. So it's not a memorial service, but it's the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration. And there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives his account of the Lord's Supper that, that he said was directly given to him by the risen Lord Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he describes it for us in detail right here exactly what the Lord's Supper is to be and how it's to be observed. So not something I concoct or Baptist concoct or a book tells us to do, but it is what Jesus told the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth. And we follow his word. Notice when the first of all, the Lord's Supper is a time of commemoration. A time of commemoration. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are told specifically that we are to remember nothing else at this moment in our lives except Jesus, his body, and his blood. He is our sole focus for the remainder of this time here this morning. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our very souls are focused on Jesus. But we're focused specifically of, of his death, the cross, the crucifixion. And he's here with us. It's his supper. We're his guests. He's the host. And the focus is on the host.
not a more beautiful picture than what Jesus did for us and pictured in the Lord's Supper. We live in a day so many religions, so many churches, so many gods. We shouldn't live as philosophers teach us. False doctrine is presented to us. Jesus himself said, I want you to remember not just how I was born, not just how I lived, how I died. How I died upon the cross for you. The greatest preacher who ever lived outside perhaps the Apostle Paul was Charles Spurgeon. It is said that on his deathbed, his last words were these. Jesus died for me. That's the last thing he remembered before he died. And that's the first thing we're to remember as we live. Jesus died for me. But not, not only is it this time of commemoration, it's a time of appreciation. You see, a thanksgiving, a time of thanksgiving, a time when we've come to the table to thank God for sending his son, let his body be sacrificed on a cross, and, and let his blood be shed that our sins might be forgiven. And, you know, how many of you... Kind of a foolish question, probably. How many of you have seen The Passion for the Christ? Very moving, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's a very moving movie, and we often use it in, in our worship services sometimes and in our video presentations and all that. And, and it often breaks our heart when we see that with our eyes. And it's also, you see, the passion uh, of Christ that can save our souls. And that's why we ought to come to this table with an attitude of gratitude and thanking God for what he's given upon the cross through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he made the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Andre Crouch, who since has gone on to be with the Lord sang a song many years ago became famous all over the world how can I say thanks how can I say thanks for all the things that you've done for me things so undeserved things you gave your life to prove your love for me the voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude all that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee, to the Lord Jesus. Y'all remember that song? Because of that, we're to give thanks. Number three, the Lord's Supper is a time of proclamation. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, that's two theological messages that we need to center on. The Lord's dead, and it's coming. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're also living.
listening, you see, to a sermon right before us. In fact, the Lord's Supper is probably the most eloquent sermon about the death of Jesus that can ever be preached. I know there's some people who are puzzled by the fact that we are such sticklers as Baptists about baptism and the Lord's Supper. People who say, I don't understand a big deal about baptism. Why does it matter whether we're baptized by immersion or sprinkling? Why does it matter we take the Lord's Supper with a certain piece of bread and a certain type of liquid? Why won't any other food do? The reason is because both the Lord's Supper and the baptism are sermons about salvation. unless they are observed correctly as we possibly can by the means that we have available to us. The whole picture of salvation is lost. For example, Paul said in Romans 6 and 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the, uh, the glory of the Father so we might walk in newness of life. Well, our soloist displayed that for us just a few weeks ago. I think he sang better since he's been baptized, don't you? I think there was a lot of power of his testimony through his song, being freshly baptized and following the Lord's leadership there. You see, Paul's meaning right here is crystal clear. It's a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Thus, the second ordinance that we're about to observe. The bread, you see, in just a few moments, is the Lord's Supper, and it represents the body of Christ, the red juice uh, of the grape, uh, uh, in the Lord's Supper represents the blood of Christ and um, I'd like to say to you parents that are here one of the first ways to begin to explain the gospel to your children is through the Lord's Supper very effective very easy way when your child asks inevitably why not I can't take the Lord's Supper it's a perfect time and for you to sit down and explain to your child exactly what the Lord's Supper represents, exactly why a person must surrender to the Lord and, and who this supper represents before they can take the supper with the Lord. And then once they personalize that and then Christ becomes a part of their life and forgives them, they join us in that proclamation. Number four, the Lord's Supper is a time of examination. Examination. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word examines your key word right there. It literally means to prove. 
to prove, to qualify, could be another word. In other words, before you take the Lord's Supper, you've got to make sure that you're qualified. And the two things that qualify you to take the Lord's Supper is, number one, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord of your life? Have you received him as Savior? And have your sins been forever forgiven? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Number two. Are you willing to be honest with any sin in your life and take care of that sin before you come to the supper? We, took, we were to taken from what Pastor Darrell said right there last week, take this week to get things right with God and right with your fellow man so that we come to the table in a worthy manner to celebrate and to proclaim the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I hope you've taken care of those things. If you haven't, it's a good time to do so. The Lord's Supper is a time when you're to do these things with any sin in your life. First of all, identify it. The Lord calls it to your remembrance, and you ask, you ask God before you take this supper, is there any sin in my life that needs to be corrected? Rectify it. That's a word that I'm saying to you. Confess it. Brings it to your remembrance through conviction. That then, then you confess it. You admit it. You, 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 you ask forgiveness for it. And three, purify it. You make sure that your heart is clean before we partake of the Lord's Supper. A time of examination. Please understand that the point that Paul's making here is there's some people who come to the Lord's Supper and rather than giving up the sin that God brings to their remembrance in their lives, maybe having a grudge against somebody or bitterness or whatever. I just won't take the Lord's Supper. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out of man because the purpose of the Lord's Supper is not for you to come and hold on to your sin and not come to the Supper. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to force you to get right with God so you can take the Lord's Supper. The Lord keeps bringing this man to my mind. He's 90 some odd years old. We're in a moment like this. pillar of the assembly family was he was children grandchildren were. but there was an unconfessed sin in his life he left when got it right and was 
right with his fellow man. The next time we had the Lord's Supper, he was even a, a little older than whatever he was, 90-something then. He gave testimony of why he went to this man. Now, you're going to think it's a petty thing. He had taken his car as an older gentleman and had backed down his driveway to go to church and had, at the back end of his car, hit the mailbox of his neighbor. He never told his neighbor it was him, even in their conversations with, you know, those old teenagers, they come by and hit my... He didn't speak up. He said, it wasn't the teenagers, it was me. So he didn't have fellowship with his brother and his brother there, his neighbor, they, they went to a different church, but that, that, that neighbor that his brother in the Lord then told me how that affected his life, how he wanted to walk even closer and cleaner because of this simple sin that he came back and confessed to him and before God. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't know how many more years this dear brother lived, Richard, you were there. But it, it shocked our church. It caused our church to be more serious about how we do things. Become unworthy. It's a time of consideration. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Lord's Supper is a time we're also to remember each other. It's that moment Jesus died the person beside you, the person in back of you, the person in front of you. Hey, do you know God loves them just like he loves you? It's time when we should also consider not me, all about him, He's concerned with who? Others. We, we focus on others. Then notice it's a time of anticipation. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're not only to look backwards and to look forward. We're to take this supper. Jesus himself said only, it says, until he comes back. It's a link between the two comings of Jesus. It's a picture of his death. But it's also a picture of the promise of his coming. It's the crucifixion. It's looking forward then to the second coming of our Lord. So we look back to the cross. And then, you see, we also look upward to the clouds. Jesus is coming. I mean, you know where Enterprise Alabama is? Did a revival in the Enterprise in Alabama a few years ago. And one of the sightseeing tours was to see the Bow Weevil Monument. Exciting place, Enterprise. Um, but here's what I found out in that little town in Alabama. Their major livelihood cotton and one year everyone thought they were going to have a bumper crop a 
little insect by the name of Bovon invaded and devastated the crop and destroyed the economy of that town there. There were some farmers who were determined not just to sit back and move into the poorhouse, and so one man got the idea that he'd plant peanuts, not just to sit back, because the bow weevil didn't like peanuts. Another farmer decided to plant peanuts and another and followed and suit. And before long, the bumper crops of peanuts began to repair the economy of this town, and they later named the town Enterprise, Alabama. Did you know what they did? They erected a monument. They erected that monument to this little bow weevil. And, and because they, they look at the boll weevil today not as a curse, but as a blessing. God has given us the greatest memorial all in the bread and all in the cup. But here's the difference. The boll weevil brought death that Jesus Christ, because of his death, brings life. That is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You see, I didn't see the bow with in the Bible. That's just an illustration. In case you were asleep and woke up. Okay. We do it in memory of what Jesus did for us because of what he can do in us and through us and through his body his blood. Bow your heads for just a few moments. Let's see if we're ready to go to the table. I'm going to walk you through something right here. When Paul was talking about being unworthy, speaking to that church at Corinth, they had gone far away from the Passover and far away from the first institution of the Lord's Supper. And there was a division in that fellowship and he spoke of that and there was heresy within that fellowship and there was self-deception, selfishness, and indulgence, there was drunkenness, there was neglect of the poor and there was irreverence and carelessness in protecting the sanctity of the church. There was just a general spirit of irreverence and faultless faults surrounding the entire approach of the Lord's Supper. So the bottom line would appear that Paul's saying right here, you got sin in your heart. Don't partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You say, well, how can, how can I be counted worthy, preacher? We have to walk in a, in a constant confession, a constant repentance, and a constant walk of praise of, of his person, his grace, and his work. 
we become guilty, you see, of the Lord's death, the scripture says there, if we insult Christ, we offend him, we trample him under our feet, we treat his death as meaningless, and we shame the name of Jesus. Scripture there before talks about how we condemn ourselves. And then we face the, the chastisement and the judgment. And that's what brought about this with Paul. Paul says, church, let's just stop where we are. Let's focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. And he talks about a word about the bread. He refers to it as a symbol. He took the bread and he used it to symbolize this body. When we take the bread, we don't eat flesh, but it's only a symbol. It refers to a sacrifice, the broken body of our Lord. You study your Bible, you know he is beaten. You know he was scourged. You know he was spit upon. You know he was mocked. You know they plucked his beard out. You know they stripped him naked. You know they nailed him to the cross and he was crucified. All of this was done for one reason. The gift that we're celebrating. But God demonstrated to us his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to ask BJ and the deacons to make their way forward now and make preparation for us to partake of the bread.